Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. And we're joined by Associate Editor Tom Ryman. Hello. <laughs> uh, Tom is here with us today. We're all, The main topic for, the, for this episode is Jurassic Park, which you all voted for. Uh, but before we get to that, Tom just published a great piece on the site about Mortal Kombat, which celebrates its 24th anniversary this month. And we wanted to dig into Tom's argument about why it is the greatest video game movie ever made after 25 years. <laughs> it's uh, First of all, it sounded like you said that's 24th anniversary. 24th, 25th. <laughs> um, I could not let that go. No, no, please uh, don't. Yeah, no, it's... Um, it's... I mean, I don't know, it rules. I don't know. <laughs> Basically... Um, you know, it's it's a movie that I was excited for at the time because it's it's like Mortal Kombat is the game that got me into video games. I was very, very casual before that. You know, like I had a Nintendo, but like it was just like whatever. Um, but Mortal Kombat was when I really got into it. Um, so I knew like everything about the mythology and everything. So when like the, the movie came out, I was super stoked for it. Um, enjoyed it a lot at the time. I've watched it probably a hundred times over the past two and a half decades. Um and it's still pretty good. Like, I think it's the best video game movie just in terms of it's a, a big problem that a lot of video game movies have is they tend to steer entirely clear of the source material, which is, you know, both it, it's kind of a necessary evil because the plot line to a lot of games are gibberish. And also if you follow them like really closely, it'd be like a 17 hour long movie. Yeah, because stories for games are, are meant to serve different purposes than stories in movies, where it's like it, the story has to keep you going as you play the game for however many hours it takes, particularly now where like every game that comes out is like 20 hours long minimum. Um, but Mortal Kombat had kind of like um, an advantage over other video game adaptations because it's based on Enter the Dragon. So it's like they had a very clear template already in place that they could follow. It's like, well, we'll just make Enter the Dragon, but it'll be with the characters from the games. Um, and they, there was a lot of characters they could have pulled from at the time because there were three video games out at the time the movie came out. So that's like, I think something like 30 characters. But they decided to just focus on the first game with like one or two people from the second game. So it's a relatively small cast of characters, unlike something like... Uh, <laughs> Steven D'Souza's Street Fighter movie. That's a weird <laughs> sentence to say. Uh, the screenwriter of Die Hard <laughs> made a Street Fighter movie. Um, and there's like 25 characters in that, and he tries to have a plot line for every single one of them. And it's just, it winds up being a movie Robert that... Robert Altman, Street Fighter. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it winds up being a movie for nobody, right? Because fans of the games are like, I don't know what's going on. And casual movie audience is like, I don't know what's going on. So it's like, with Mortal Kombat, I think it's it's straight it's it's accessible enough. Like it, it does both things very well, I think, where it it follows the game closely enough so that fans of the game are be are able to like watch the movie and and have like feel like rewarded for it. You know what I mean? Because it's like, oh yeah, they actually this is actually what it is in in the game. It's neat that they did that. And then you know somebody who's just watching the movie who has no idea what the games are. Like I think I saw it with my dad for the first time, and he was like, oh this that was that was kind of good because. Um, it's it's extremely straightforward because it's like I said, it's based on Enter the Dragon, and also it has a lot of like just good movie elements in it. Like it's got a, a very fun and memorable performance from Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa as Shang Tsung, which I would argue is probably the main reason why people still watch that movie and talk about it. Like why it's such a big endearing hit with with fans of the game and also just kind of fans of '90s movies because his performance is over the top in the most pitch perfect way. Like, yeah, he's well, doing, he makes, he makes an amazing decision in literally every scene he's in. So to the point where I'm still like finding like new small stuff that he's doing, even when he's not like the focus of the scene, 
just to you know just because he's awesome um and a professional it, yeah. it's yeah it's just fun i don't know no no i i agree <laughs> i think one of the the film's advantages is that it doesn't take itself too seriously yeah um which you know and that's not to say like it's trying to be campy it's just like you said it's like it's very much enter the dragon it's sort of like it's a it's an underground fighting competition but like also here's a guy that can shoot a spear out of his hand like mm. it's <laughs> you know it, it, it's it's that kind of thing and like here's a here's a monster with four arms and his name is goro like it sort of it put it puts you on the right wavelength of like it's it's a martial arts combat you know tournament but there are also monsters and like that's that kind of fits the bill like that kind of takes care of all that needs to be taken care of and you sort of look at other video game adaptations and they're just it, it's either that they're trying to hew too closely to the story or that they just they don't they forget to be fun like it's crazy. Like they made like an Assassin's Creed movie and it's just, it's so morose, you know? It's and I guess very boring. Yeah. It's, you know, and it's like, <laughs> here's a guy that gets to like go in a machine and like live out, like gets to be like, you know, running through uh medieval times or whatever. And it's just like, but he's also a prisoner on death row. And like, well, why would you say that? <laughs> like, why, why is it? Why are you like this? The baffling thing about the Assassin's Creed movie to me is it does the same weird thing that the early games in that series does in which it spends entirely too much time in the present day. Yeah. Where it's like, like the newer games don't do that like at all. Like it's like, you'll have like two scenes, but like most of this movie is Michael Fassbender pouting in a, in a facility run by Jeremy Irons. I think, <laughs> I think that was that movie. Yep. Yes. So there's only like, there's only like three sequences where he actually is in the past doing awesome stunts. And those scenes are cool. Cause they actually did a lot of practical stunts for that movie, but it's just like those last for maybe six or seven minutes. Then the rest of the movie is just them being very serious, uh, spouting extremely ridiculous exposition. No, no it's like Michael <laughs> Fassbender is in jail for murder, where he where he hangs out with his father, who was also in jail for murder. Like, <laughs> right, his dad, Brendan Gleeson. Brendan I forgot Gleeson. about yeah. that. <laughs> I think '90s video game movies just had so much more fun than than present day ones, and I think that's one of the reasons that I haven't seen it. But it seems like Sonic the Hedgehog is not trying to be super serious, and it was a success. Like people went and saw it and enjoyed it. It's, it appears. Um, but you yeah. think about something like Double Dragon, which is just like pure insanity, but it's fun because yeah. it just like doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Double Dragon's almost a body horror movie at some point. Oh yeah, it's super. Um, gross. But yeah, like that's. That's a weird one. Like they had Wing Commander in the '90s, oh, which was actually, <laughs> it was written by the person who created the game, and it still was like really disappointing to fans of that game because I guess he felt he had to make changes for a movie, and it just winds up being this weird ass. It's, it's just very bland. I don't know. Um, it's hard to do. I recognize that it's hard to do. Um, and the Sonic one, I saw. Uh, which is, and it was fine, but it's, I just kept wondering like why, cause what they did is they took a very generic established fish out of water story and just dropped Sonic the Hedgehog in the middle of it. Like it has very little to do with the game's world or Sonic as a character, which I thought was strange because Sonic had a cartoon series. He has a whole team of animal friends. They're fighting like a mad doctor who traps animals inside robots to power them. I'm like, why isn't this like an animated movie and, by like blue sky or something? And to me, the, the, the logic seems to be there is like when we make family films and like, if we do a fully animated film, that's going to cost too much. Oh so, yeah, that's true. Like it's going to cost too much to do it. So what we should do is we should do a, a hybrid film. Cause that's a good family formula where we'll have the, the main character be animated and then he'll team up with like a human and we can get like a, like a funny human, but who one who's not too expensive. And like, you know, that's, that'll be our movie. And what's funny is, is that like the, the Mario movie that they're working on right now is going to be fully animated, like Illumination's doing the film and it's going to be animated. And I think the reason that it has to be fully animated is because of the nineties. Mario was such a disaster <laughs> by having any live action. Koopa. You know, the Mario, that movie was a max headroom movie. Yes, have you I guys read that? that? Yeah. That's, 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 that. 
it's insane to me, but it also makes complete sense when you watch it. You're like, oh, okay. This is supposed to be an R-rated cyberpunk movie, and they just kind of shoehorned Mario into and Luigi it. to go <laughs> fight off against Dennis Hopper. Oh, what a what a what a great time 1993 was. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, but I think you know again that kind of gets to like you know we're talking now about like how there's too much story, but in the 90s games hardly had any story. So right, like, yeah. like, like what would like, again, like what would a Mario story be? Oh, you have to save the princess from a dinosaur. And like in a game, like they made it a princess and a dinosaur because those are easy to do with pixels. Like it's, you can't like have like Bowser, like be like a, another guy. That's just confusing. But like, if you make him like a dinosaur, then it's like, oh, he's clearly bad. And then I'll jump over him and save the princess who's in another castle. But like as a film, like what does that even look like? Yeah, no, I definitely appreciate the 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 the, the swings they took um, early on in, in, in making video game adaptations. Uh, Mortal Kombat, again, was an exception because like we said, it's based on a, a pretty famous kung fu film, um, and it's just—it's very much just like a, a very tropey kung fu story. But it also had like a weird amount of story in it. <laughs> like they wrote a lot about these characters um, and about this weird world um, and like the parallel dimensions and stuff. As it's—it's, I think it, it was an example of a, of a game that had more story than I was personally used to which is one reason that it really sucked me in um and that that like that's the game that got me into like video games it's like oh there's actually a story behind this character um like scorpions the crow basically and i thought that was really cool um yeah so i don't know that's uh, whereas now you're absolutely right that they have except except for uh something like sonic i guess although there is a lot of story for sonic at this point um it's almost now they have to decide there's so much story. They have to like decide what they can whittle down into just one movie, uh, which is an entirely different problem than what they were having with Mario back in the day. Where it's like, how is this a movie? I don't even understand what this is. <clears throat> so yeah, now we have a new Mortal Kombat movie coming out next year. So we'll see how they reboot it with, cause mm. now like, Again, even even with just like what I think like three games out at the time, it still wasn't like a, a that confusing of a narrative. It was still sort of like, you know, Outworld has won the last nine of the ten tournaments, so the the humans have to get together to stop them from winning the tenth tournament, to, so that Outworld doesn't take over our realm, and so on and so forth. Yeah. But by the time you get like I I did, I was just sort of like killing time one day, and I'm like, what's What's Liu Kang up to? And Liu Kang's story <laughs> alone. <laughs> Liu Kang's story alone, if you don't follow the Mortal Kombat games, Liu Kang has been murdered. Uh-huh. And comes back as a zombie and like like an undead bad guy now. It's twice. So twice. <laughs> he has died twice. twice and come back to life. So yeah, it's a little more complicated now. As opposed to like in the early games, like Liu Kang was the hero and you shut it down, and like now he's dead, but yeah, also not dead. In, in in like an alt this I think the second alternate timeline like it's it's Mortal Kombat's Dragon Ball now basically it's so wild like everybody's died and come back to life like the uh, there's different timelines it's great is what I'm saying it's yeah. perfect storytelling <laughs> anyway look out for the new movie <laughs> yeah man uh, it's it's gonna have um uh, what Joe Taslim from the Raid in it I'm pretty stoked yeah. about that. I just hope uh, it feels like most video game adaptations nowadays are trying to be popular superhero movies. Like Assassin's Creed was clearly like a Batman Begins kind of deal. So mm-hmm. I just hope it's not like a Marvel movie in the packaging of a Mortal Kombat movie. You oh, know what I mean? Absolutely, is a Marvel movie. <laughs> <laughs> People only know how to imitate other movies. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I I don't know. They're they're saying they're sticking for a hard R, so that'll at least yeah. be different from Marvel. Yeah, <clears throat> and James Wan's producing, so. We'll see. Yeah. Um, well, with that, let's let's shift gears and talk a little bit about Jurassic Park, um, which is currently streaming on Netflix. That's what our, our listeners and, and readers voted for. Um, for us it's going to, to it's going to Peacock though, isn't it? Or am I stupid? Oh no! Or it, it went from Peacock to Netflix. I mean, they just they jump around. You can't Who the hell knows? It. Like <laughs> at this moment, as we record this on, <laughs> yeah. on August eighteenth. 
It is currently on Netflix. It's it's it's, it's hilarious <laughs> to me US. that the that the NBC Universal streaming platform doesn't have the Jurassic Park doesn't movies. Doesn't have the Jurassic movies, doesn't have most of the Fast and Furious movies. Yeah, your I mean, $2 billion main... dollar franchises. Good yeah. good work, guys. <laughs> it is, that is an interesting thing, though, because like five years ago when Netflix was, you know, just kind of starting to be a thing, like no one, I think the major studios didn't necessarily believe that streaming services were going to be major and just saw it as a different revenue stream. So they signed these licensing deals for like eight, nine, 10 years, which is why you see stuff jumping back and forth. Like even the Marvel movies that are on Disney plus now they're going back to Netflix in like two years, just because Mm -hmm. they signed these deals so long ago that all continue going. So that's why you can't bank. Just own it. (laughs) Just buy the thing. Physical media is the best way to watch anything. Yes, I uh, agree. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's funny. I was rewatching Jurassic Park and like I've seen this movie so many times now. And obviously it's it's still great, but I've reached the point, and I don't know if this is the way for you guys, but I've reached the point now where I can kind of nitpick it in like a fun way. Like not sort of like, man, you know, like was John Hammond going to do the intro every time that they did the lab tour? <laughs> I did think about that this time. I'm I mean, like, it comes up. Be there every time. Is he going to do that? Like every time, to, you know, but whatever. Yeah. The, the, the I've, been, I, I've, that... been, I've been thinking about that for a long time. <laughs> just really, that... really just picturing that world where he's on every single tour. <laughs> You're 70. You got you're like three years. You're the owner. You don't right. have time for this. You're going to be cropping in each day, man. So the part that my wife and I noticed that we were watching is so they go into the lab, right? And BD Wong is like, oh, I'm, oh, they're about to hatch. I'm so glad I was just about to leave. And I was like, <laughs> what happens if you leave? <laughs> like, wait, whoa, whoa. The gut, it's going to hatch no matter what. What happens if no one's there? <laughs> Yeah, it's just... A... And the dinosaur egg hatches, and you yep. have little baby raptors just running around. <laughs> That's it. Hey, the boat's leaving. Like, they don't have a night shift at Jurassic at Jurassic Park. It's just like, hey, it's quitting time. Right, so, you, you'd think, like, a, a incub- like a, an incubation room would be, like, a, a rotating shift schedule. Like, this is a 24-hour operation. We got... Somebody needs well, it's to sort be of here. like, you know, it, I mean, it's so, it's weird. It's like they, Jurassic Park is kind of treated like a zoo, but even at a zoo, like they, you know, someone might have to come on after hours if mm-hmm. there's a baby being born. Like you can't just be like, sorry, I'm clocking out. <laughs> so I don't know, but I, that's the thing to me, it's reached that level of like endearing where it's not like I, the, the movie is ruined by that. It's just like, you're so invested in the world. Like I doubt either any of us, like the first time we saw Jurassic Park, we're like, why, why is BD Wong leaving when the, you know, it's just, you know, you, it's that kind of thing you don't really notice until your 10th, 11th, 12th viewing. Cause you've just, you know, all the other beats of the story so well. Yeah. I think for me, I was like six or seven when I first saw it. And it, I don't know if this is true of you guys, but like I saw it, I was obsessed with it. I bought it on VHS. I watched it all the freaking time. But because I watched it so many times as a kid, like things went over my head and like stayed over my head. Like it took a while to unstick that kind of first viewing. Like mm. I, I remember distinctly, like when I was a kid saying the Pledge of Allegiance, I thought it was like for which it stands. Like I didn't know those were words. It was just like sing, like the thing that I said. But like kind of the same deal with Jurassic Park that it wasn't until kind of years later that I came to appreciate like the morality and ethics of like the science. And like now one of my favorite scenes is after the tour, the lunch that they're having with Hammond when they're all kind of like bringing up the moral and ethical problems with this. And Hammond is just like gobsmacked um, the stuff that will come to, you know, bite them in the ass later on. But I don't know, like every time I watch it, I feel like in some respects, it's it's like listening to one of my favorite songs. Like I know the beats, I know the lines, I know the words, I know what's coming up next. But sometimes I'll find myself a little surprised of like, I didn't pick up on that when I was a kid. And it took a while to kind of like unstick my brain from autopilot of watching it to be like, oh, yeah, this is actually very good. Steven Spielberg, good filmmaker. Oh, yeah. yeah. Who, who would have thought? Um, yeah, you know, it's it's de- I mean, yeah, that was the same way. Uh, I was a little bit older, but um Yeah saw it i was already obsessed with it i was obsessed with the book um so i saw the movie uh was obsessed with it got the vhs watched a hundred times like it's it's one of those movies like matt was saying it's like it's like an indiana jones or a star wars for me at this point where um i can watch it and just be thinking of 
be focused on an, a really weird, minute detail for the entirety of the movie because I know it so well and I've seen it so many times. Um, like if, just when they drive up on the Brachiosaurus and spot them, it's like you didn't see them from like a mile away. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, they're like looking down. It takes them looking up to notice this massive right. dinosaur. <laughs> right. Yeah. They, By the way, driving up their on them for a minute. Is literally like digging for fossils. Like their job <laughs> is to notice things. Yeah. Um, yeah, stuff like that. Or like, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just it's it's one of those movies that just appeals to me and continues to appeal to me in so many different ways because of you know obviously the dinosaurs and then there's the the elements that um Adam was talking about in that scene which is a great scene you know where like Malcolm's talking about the morality of it um uh Ellie's talking about well you've got poisonous plants in here like you don't even you're, you know, you don't you don't even know what you're making. Like you don't even bother to to look at that. It's just like an accessory to you. Um, that stuff's all great. Um, it gave us Jeff Goldblum pretty much. <laughs> uh, yeah, just it's it's just one of those movies that hits all of the 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 right points for me in terms you know of, of the the adventure and then like you're just like the imagination of it where you're just like oh man what if we could do this and then like as the movie goes on you're like maybe we shouldn't do that it's like when i saw blow for the first time <laughs> like sitting through blow i was like man this, being a drug dealer seems pretty cool and then by the end of blow you're like maybe i gotta rethink this drug dealer thing <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah like i don't know jurassic park is 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 all of those things uh, i think and it's um I mean, obviously, there's a reason it's such a huge deal, and we all love it so much. Um, gosh, what is it? Twenty-seven years later, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, I mean, on this recent viewing, I also like like the, there's like the little craft things. Like, I was a little astonished that like the film wasn't nominated for like best art direction because I think in terms of its design, it's just yeah. filled with so many great little details. Like, even right down to I love. Love, love, love the shot where the raptor pokes its head up of the ceiling, and the ceiling, like it's the gat, it's the um, GATC, yeah, the, the DNA code, yeah, it's the, the DNA code, code yeah. we call like, it on its face. But like, it's just a great little detail mm -hmm. that like puts it on there. But even that, like, like the costume design is ingenious. Everything is branded with Jurassic Park logo. Mm -hmm. Stuff that doesn't need to be like that to me is like it's so over. Like, and it's clearly like it's a manifestation of Hammond's priorities. Where it's like it's very important that the it was more important that my construction workers have hats, have hard hats with the Jurassic Park logo <laughs> than lift figuring out how to lift a gate without a person doing it. Right. <laughs> like that's the thing. It doesn't take a person like, oh, how will we ever lift up a gate? You get a crane and you attach something and you pull. But like, no, 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 we have to have a person physically that's... lift up the gate. That scene is also perfect in in establishing his priorities because mm -hmm. Um, he falls in, the dinosaur's attacking him. Um, they've got like, I don't know, six guys zapping it with cattle prods and Muldoon's trying to get the guy out of there. Um, and it takes to the point of the guy's basically already dead because he's been being mauled by a dinosaur for like 30 seconds at that point. And he's, he's like slipping through Muldoon's hands before he finally says, shoot her. And then they actually start shooting her with like bullets. Um, they waited so long because the animal was way more important than the guy who's being killed horribly, like in front of all these workers. Um, and that's the first scene of the film. Um, but at it's least he was a statement. Yeah. At least he was wearing his Jurassic park logo as he was mauled. Well, to and, death. And, it's, and it, cop, it pops <laughs> up like everywhere. Like, like, like in the, in the dining sequence, in the, in the um, slideshow room, like the guy who like his apron has a Jurassic park logo. And it's like, Oh good. This waiter has to have a Jurassic park logo or it's very, it's, it's scientist, Disney. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, everything must be branded because like, and, and then the genius kind of twist is that like, like Hammond is the villain. He's the mm -hmm. villain of the film, but yeah. Richard Attenborough plays him with such fatherly warmth that it's hard to like hate him. Like even though he's wrong and a dummy and like keeps screwing up, like and doesn't get it, he's just sort of like, ah, uh, you know, he's so he's so grandfatherly. 
it's definitely hard to pick up that he's the bad. It's it's if you guys, I'm sure you've probably read the novel or at least a lot of people. I've read the novel, have. yeah, which is much darker than the, than the movie. Yeah, and he's more explicitly a shithead in the novel. And he gets um, the business in the novel. He does, yeah. <laughs> he does get the business. <laughs> he gets Peter Stormare's death in the second movie. Um, he, it's it's harder to notice when you're a kid that 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 he's a, a bad guy, but it's like right off the bat, he lands a helicopter in the middle of an archeological dig. That's like destroying the fossil. They just dug yes. up. She's like, well, who cares anymore? I've got real dinosaurs. <laughs> um, it, there's a, a, that scene in the, the dinner scene where like Gennaro is talking about, we can charge 2000 a day, 10,000 a day. And, and people, and then he's like, well, now Donald, this is not only for the super rich. And he's like, sure, we can have a coupon day or something. And he laughs and Hammond laughs in agreement. Yes. So he's still going to charge $10,000 a day, but have a coupon day every once in a while. Yeah. Um, so there's like little things like that. And, and, and then the subtlety of like Nedry in the movie. Um, it's basically Hammond is screwing over a person, a, a contractor. Uh, making him come in and do a bunch of extra work that he's not getting paid for. He kind of lowballed him. Well, we, so we, on the contract in the beginning, that. it's not that like it, it's that Nedry is the lowest bidder. So Nedry yes. is also partially to blame. But like, is, on, the, yeah. on the other hand, Hammond probably shouldn't have been like, I should give this to the lowest bidder. For exactly. Because for he, he keeps saying I spared no expense, but he went with the guy <laughs> who, who lowballed everybody else. He's like, yeah, it's oh, my gosh. Um, I want like a deleted scene where like Nedry learns what the other bid is and just goes. <laughs> Does the Jonah Hill like yeah. <laughs> learning how bad it was? Yeah, so there's there's a, 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 a yeah there's there's an element there of like just being like Hammonds, you know, he's the same as like Jeff Bezos or something. He's he's sure everything looks nice, but he's paying his workers like crap. Um, yeah. and and treating them like crap. Like there's an extra element from you can sort of infer it in the movie. Um, but there's an extra element in the novel where like Nedry doesn't even know what he's building. Like he's just because it's everything is very like top secret and they only leak certain bits of information. So he's like designing this incredibly uh, powerful state of the art system that's unprecedented where most things have to be automated. And that's another thing. Hammond wants most things to be automated so that he can save money. And the fact that it's all reliant on the automation is what makes everything break down. <laughs> John yeah, he's a, he's a bad guy. <laughs> he's a bad guy like, he, he causes again, all of these problems. No, but it's a, it's such a genius casting move to be like, but what if we cast him with a really endearing guy so that you can't you don't realize that you're supposed to hate him? Right. It, he's he's Walt Disney, which is what he was supposed to be in the original story, but Crichton made it more obvious. Whereas you know, like no, you can just make him literally Walt Disney, who was an affable. A guy that everybody liked, but also was extremely anti-Semite. Exactly, like like he was he was like you know like like the face of the company and like a you know a a a charming sort of fatherly or grandfatherly character, but extremely sinister in in his in his his dealings uh, and his personal beliefs. Yeah, Yeah. Hammond was a raging anti-Semite. You heard it. I mean, and no Jews at Jurassic Park. <laughs> Spare no expense. And no expense, but also no Jews. Uh, and it is, it's interesting how Hammond is kind of deified in the later films. Um, yeah, because they don't understand what the movie is about. Uh, <laughs> they don't understand. Exactly, because they don't understand. So let's, let's, let's move into the sequels a bit. Well, before, so I, I did want to make, I did oh, want to make one, okay, just a, like, obvious but like re-watching it just like the shot construction of the t-rex attack scene is like otherworldly like mm-hmm. if you want to know how to build tension like literally study every single shot in that entire sequence how it progresses what lines of dialogue are being said how it's setting up how it's building the anticipation how the attack happens how it goes like this is spielberg as a master class director not just in terms of action like that is an action scene but he approaches most scenes that way you know he edits in camera he storyboards he knows exactly what he's shooting where it's going to fit how it's going to go um but every time i'm astounded by that sequence and the effects like how the effects hold up tremendously well like the dinosaurs look better than the dinosaurs in the jurassic world movies they actually used 
more practical ones, which is not to say yeah. that the only way to go is practical, but the majority of the T-Rex attack scene, that's an, a giant robot, um, which I think helps. Um, yeah. Some of the, well, some and, of the digital effects in the movie look a little, yeah, 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 for sure. Which is what Fincher did on social networks. So you could never figure out because with the army hammer doubling, like sometimes he was using a double, sometimes it was a face, uh, you know, replacement. Sometimes it was, so it, you never, each scene was different. So your eye couldn't get used to, Oh, I can tell like what yeah, the effect yeah. is here. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, that T-Rex attack is, I think one of the best sequences in movies. Um, yeah. he's, he's just really good at, like even like the eye lines, like where he decides to whose point of view he decides to film it from is really important. And there's also no score in that yeah, sequence, yeah. which adds a lot. Like you're sitting there in it, you don't notice it. Um, but then like after a couple of rewatchings, at least for me, it, it took me um, to be like, oh, yeah, there's there's no uh, there's no John Williams right now. <laughs> like, <clears throat> it's all great. And it's just and again, it's sort of like. And only sort of Spielberg, not, I guess not only Spielberg, but Spielberg knows how to endanger children in the way that makes us care. Mm-hmm. Like, because yeah. these are like, these, these aren't annoying children. They're just like regular children. And so like, you're watching and you actually like, oh, I hope they're okay. You know, like you don't, you're not like, ah, get them, T-Rex. <laughs> Which is <laughs> kind of how I felt about the kids in Jurassic World. <laughs> well, you, you could see another director looking at the scene where they're deciding who's going to go in what car and saying, "This, uh, I don't need this scene. Like, it's not, it's not plot heavy. It's not exposition. We can jettison it." But it's so important not only to the development of Dr. Grant's character and establishing like how he feels about children. Um, but also Ellie and how she feels about he how he feels about children, but also endearing yourself to the kids like the kids are endearing in that scene. So that entire scene has nothing to do with the plot, but everything to do with how you're going to feel when these kids get in danger. Right. And I just I, that doesn't really <laughs> and then, I mean, there are kids, there are kids in all of the other all of the other Jurassic movies, and I could not give a shit about them. <laughs> I just it's it's a it's a thing that. A lot of movies do this where they they feel like they need to have a kid's perspective. I think, well, no, there is there's that little clone monstrosity in Fallen Kingdom. So there is a kid. And <laughs> there's there's the unholy abomination in Fallen Kingdom. Yeah, there's, um, we'll, we'll get to that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but like they feel like kids won't connect with it unless there's a kid. And uh, I think that's that's like a that's like an executive uh, marketing decision for the for the subsequent movies where it's like well there's got to be a kid there because uh, how else are the kids gonna identify it's like well it doesn't they don't it doesn't need to be <laughs> like it's I mean, just there are, like there are no kids in Marvel movies for the most part they'll be fine yeah yeah they seem to connect just fine uh, there's did you notice there's dinosaurs here yeah <laughs> do you know what else is very popular right now gymnastics gymnastics Could there be a oh scene where they do some gymnastics <laughs> so. These, these raptors, they're terrifying, right? And they, they take down like a whole field of hunters. But what they can't do is deal with a young gymnast. <laughs> and yeah. so if we could young gymnast this, this dinosaur to death, that would be pretty... Uh, pretty that would be ideal, yeah. That, that see, would... that, see, to me, my thing with Lost World is like, it's, I think I put this as... Like, I, to me, I think it is Spielberg's worst movie. Um, it feels largely even though it's kind of like a nasty piece of work to me the the part that makes it the worst is how uneven it is like there are parts where it feels like he's having fun like the t-rex rampaging through um san diego Diego. yeah i was about to say la but it's like no it's san diego because they're taking it to the zoo um is that um it's it feels like oh spielberg is like getting to do his godzilla thing and like Mm -hmm. that's kind of and that's kind of fun. Like you can see him having fun, but then there are other parts of the film where it's just like, eh, like I don't care. Like he doesn't care about the internal consistency that he did with the first film. So it's just this kind of weird up and down roller coaster of sort of what, what is Spielberg going to care about at any given moment? Because not all the film kind of melds together. Like I said, you have a scene where like the raptor is, is this fierce predator, but also if we need to kill it in a funny way, we can do that too. Cause nothing matters. Yeah. It's, I had read that the San Diego scene was the only reason he wanted to do the movie. Um, and I think I he was, that. I think he was doing Amistad at the same time. It's so funny that that he's doing Amistad at the same time as Lost World, and he's doing Schindler's List at the same time as Jurassic Park. Yeah, it's like yeah. man, that's the, you break your neck with that whiplash. Oh. I can definitely feel 
I mean, after Schindler's List, he took a break. He didn't make a movie for like four or five years. And you can feel like he was a little shell-shocked or something. Because like he came back to do The Lost World to ostensibly like do what he had done before. But it felt like he was a different filmmaker now, having made Schindler's List. I don't think he had ever... I mean, obviously, he had never made a film that like dramatically intense and he's talked about how personal color purple but yeah i think Schindler's yeah. list is more intense well, well and Schindler's how list is more personal to him yeah, yeah. And how personally it, it had affected him and so it felt like a studio saying we've got to make a sequel jurassic park is the number one movie of all time um and i'm saying yeah it could be fun and like he's having fun i think the double t-rex attack is incredible um with that's a really good sequence yeah that yeah. sequence is super fun but he didn't take the time with the story it doesn't feel like um jeff goldblum is almost playing like dr malcolm feels like a different character in this movie because they're making him so much more sympathetic and he's he's darker like every everything everybody's like it's it feels it reminds me a lot of temple of doom where it's like it's still the same characters and like kind of the same universe and it's still this adventure that's in line with what the 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 previous installment was but it feels meaner like it's like like you can kind of feel that he's there's a contempt for the existence of the thing that like kind of, yeah. I did I made this successful thing and now Hollywood has demanded that I do another and so we all kind of are now in this boat together and that 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 kind of contempt kind of seeps through where it's like I'm not really having fun doing this so I'm mm-hmm. going to kind of lean into the nastier bits of what this is. Yeah, like, man, he punishes poor Toby from the West oh, Wing. <laughs> poor Richard Toby Ziegler gets the business. <laughs> uh, there's a scene We're where they're doing the, nothing, the... by the way. Richard Jim is not like a bad guy. And he no. Terribly. Yeah, as he's desperately trying to save the rest of the characters, too. <laughs> it's. I mean, there's a scene later and there's a pretty f- famous uh, scene in the in the San Diego attack where the T-Rex eats David Kep, who's the screenwriter. Uh, <laughs> and it's it, it seems like he did the movie to sort of um, just kind of see like he did. I mean, obviously, it didn't have anything new to say. It, there wasn't really much of a story. So it was, he was just kind of. It seemed like he was just kind of seeing, well, what can I do with these dinosaurs now that we've made the technology? Because they were sort of creating it back in Jurassic Park, and now we have it for Lost World. Well, what's a cool thing I could do? Two T-Rexes. That's great. Um, put a T-Rex in San Diego. That's awesome. Um, but like the rest of the movie is like, there's like, yeah, there's wild jumps in geography. There's um, the T-Rex being trapped in the hole of the ship while... I don't know how he bit that guy's arm off in the pilot house. Um, there's just, there's weird. Yeah. It's like, it's like Matt was saying, it feels sloppy in a way that's unusual for him. Like normally I'm never confused about the geography of a, of a scene in a Spielberg movie, but lost world is just like, anything goes. It's like, yeah, it's like, like later season game of Thrones where people are just teleporting. You're like, Oh, okay. I guess. Yeah, sure. sure. I don't know, and, I don't know uh, where this like, is. Like Bill Ibri um, over on Vulture, like wrote like he wrote like a pretty good article about article about like the about Lost World and like it's good because it's meaner and like it's it's more about parenthood. But I feel like the meaner stuff doesn't necessarily benefit the the film because it's not consistently mean enough. Like if it were just like mean all the way through, but then there are times where it's just kind of goofy, and so it doesn't mm-hmm. really hold steady where it needs to tonally, and then in terms of it being about parenthood, I feel like the first movie is a much stronger statement about parenthood yeah. with regards to Grant's storyline than, like, there's a mama T-Rex and a baby T-Rex. Like, I mean, yeah, it's there, but it doesn't... Like, what's the well, weight of it? Yeah, it's got the... I mean, it also has the the very familiar uh, Spielberg thing about, you know, bad dads, shitty dads, with Malcolm and his relationship with Kelly, um, which is kind of Grant's role in the, in the previous movie. Um, but it, even then, it's like very, it's very, you're right. Like the movie doesn't really explore those themes at all. It's just like, well, he's, he's estranged from his daughter and now they're on an adventure. It's like, all well, right, it we also don't... wants to be about hunting and like thematically it's super sloppy there. Cause then conservation, it, all of a yeah. Sudden, yeah. All of a sudden it becomes, they're on a mission to stop 
you know, the uh, the jailing of these animals and these dinosaurs, um, which is a really surprising <laughs> plot point that just drops in in the middle of the movie. It's like, surprise, it's yeah. about poaching. And also, but like the funny thing about that is they really jack that up um, because if you notice, um, Julianne Moore and Vince Vaughn get everyone killed. <laughs> and then they have to rely on the poachers. They have to like work with the poachers for safety to get everybody out alive because yeah. Julianne Moore and Vince Vaughn completely cause all of the people to die on that island from what they do. It's a it's, weird message. And then, and, and then they did basically, <laughs> and then like Vince Vaughn like disappears from the movie at the he end. He does. <laughs> it just doesn't matter. Right. I it think, was, so it was to the, weird to the point. It's like, so why is he even like, it's like kind of like a reveal that he's still alive. Cause he like disappears from it. And he comes back like the helicopter. So let's get on the helicopter. It's like, well, why is he, why save this character then? Like, yeah. I don't, like you said, it's, it's, it's inconsistently mean. I think you're right in that it feels sloppy. And I mean, there are those stories with the color purple that while making it Spielberg and everyone was like, we're going to win best picture. We're going to win best director. We're going to win all these Oscars. And that didn't happen. And he was pretty upset about it, but it feels like Schindler's Schindler's list irrevocably changed him as a filmmaker. And so it, it felt like him going to the lost world to try and do that thing he was known for. Cause again, with the color purple, he very specifically wanted it to be known that he was a serious director. And there was mm -hmm. some like, eh, I don't know. Same with Schindler's list. Like people were like, you are not the right person to make this movie. So he makes Schindler's list. It wins all the awards. It is incredibly meaningful and impactful and powerful. And it is a very different film stylistically, conceptually from anything he's done before. And then he tries to go back to that well with The Lost World while he's also making Amistad, which feels like another step towards that direction, um, but not quite as successful. And so The Lost World feels sloppy. But if you look at his films after that, like Saving Private Ryan, and then especially in the 2000s where he's making like Minority Report and Catch Me If You Can and Munich um, and even The Terminal, it feels like he's trying to like he's like, all right, I want to talk about serious things now. Like I I can have fun, but I want to make darker, more serious well, and also, so, I think he's sort of kind of come to terms with the fact that in his bones, he's a horror filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Like He's never made a straight horror film, but like he is a horror filmmaker. And like the more he just embraces that wait, the has terminal. He made it? the terminal, jo what Jaws, I would call well, to Jaws, me, Jaws is always a thriller, but like, yeah, yeah. Not, you know, but in, in any event, like, like he's just he know, I think he stops trying to sort of thread the needle of like, well, how can I make it populist, but also you know, scare people. And like, by the time you hit war of the Worlds, it's just like, I am going to fuck people up in the summer blockbuster. That, and, that Tim Robbins scene. Holy shit. I know. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you got to kill someone to protect, to just even the possibility that they might hurt your kid. That's ah, <laughs> oh, that, mm, that scene is so good. I don't care for the movie much, but that scene where he kills Tim Robbins, I was like, I, this is incredible film. And I do care for the movie much. I think it's pretty great. <laughs> um, we should probably move along. If just, we're, we're sort of on a tight time schedule today, but mm -hmm. is there anything about the thing I want to say about the sequels overall? Cause we kind of went deep on, on lost world, but overall it's just, they're not really about anything. I spent like but from Jurassic park three, Jurassic world, and then Jurassic world fallen kingdom. They're just not a, they're just like dino rampage. And I get, and that's kind of fine for what it is, but it's not the meat of like why Jurassic park works. Like, mm -hmm. The the notion, like, by the time you get to Fallen Kingdom, it's like, we invented a new dinosaur called the Indominus Rex. And it's like, I don't care. That's not really <laughs> what I'm here for, yeah. is a new dinosaur. Like, I don't, you know, I, I that's just, it It seems so silly. Or, wait, it was the Indominus Rex for Jurassic World, and then they invented, like, a new Indo -raptor. kind of raptor. Indoraptor. Indoraptor. Yeah. Again, like it, 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 to me, it feels like a misunderstanding of like what these movies are supposed to be about. So that 100%. by the time you do get to the end of Fallen Kingdom and the little clone girls, like they're like me, and then she just presses button <laughs> to release all dinosaurs, and you're like, how stupid are you, little girl? Doom the planet. <laughs> you yeah. doom the planet because you don't understand that you're not the same as a dinosaur. <laughs> I just and you're just and it makes like a. Five hundred million dollars or something. It makes up. Oh, it, do, it made it made over a billion. Yeah. Made over a billion. Yeah, <laughs> I was getting conservative, and they're like, "No, no, double yeah. that." <laughs> it's the movies, particularly Jurassic World, because I think Jurassic Park three was the one that was just like, "Well, let's just make Dino Rampage." It's ninety minutes. It's like flying by the yeah, seat. Yeah, it doesn't of its overstay pants. its welcome. And it, it yeah, has, and, and and that one is more goofy. And like he has a raptor whistle, <laughs> you know, like he has so a, a raptor it. turns to him on the airplane and says, Ellen, 
Mm. (laughs) (laughs) that happens in jurassic park 3 yes um but like the jurassic world movies absolutely don't understand what it is that actually made the first movie good um they understand to recreate beats and stuff but they don't know why they're doing it um i think a good example is the well first of all nobody's ever scared in jurassic world um at least the first one like there's a scene where the two kids are getting chased by the indominus rex and they jump down a waterfall and they get out the other side of the waterfall and they look at each other and laugh and it was just like you guys almost got smoked like you know in the first one they have like lex is still panicking after they got rid of the t-rex because a giant monster tried to kill her these kids are like well time to go to the next um action scene or whatever um well and it's so concerned with everyone looking cool like owen has to be like the perfect machismo and like bryce yeah. dallas howard gets a crossbow and shoots someone doesn't she like shoot some dinosaur with a crossbow and then like she and owen kiss and it's just this really like hoorah. <laughs> she and owen kiss after her assistant gets brutally killed by a pterodactyl oh, and a mosasaurus okay. that's it that's who it. was that's doing it. nothing but trying to plan a wedding um there's but an no interest cool in jurassic park get eaten three times in a row <laughs> yeah yeah and it's something they miss from the they got a lot of heat for that um because the movie itself is extremely sexist and then that in particular that scene was just like why are we punishing this barely here uh woman f- just for what being british and on the phone like where i don't understand because, what we're... because she did not fulfill her role as a woman to be fully attentive to great Ex- children so exactly. therefore she must be eaten by a pterodactyl and then eaten by uh a mosasaurus or whatever and just yeah. you know just obliterated yeah that should have happened to vincent d'onofrio like, yeah, vincent d'onofrio um, I continuously forget he's in this movie but like to the point of like in Fallen Kingdom the dinosaurs don't eat anybody but bad people um, so there goes your tension and like I remember in one of the interviews we actually we hosted on Collider where Colin Trevor was like yeah we learned our lesson from from the first movie where people were upset that the woman got killed by the pterodactyl and eaten. So now it's just the dinosaurs are, aren't going to eat any good people. I'm like, no, that's not, that's not the lesson, man. <laughs> like if nobody, if nobody we care about gets killed, zero tension. <laughs> like, I'm surprised that the, the, the writer of book of Henry may have some trouble with story beats <laughs> and character motivations. I mean, just... I wrote, I wrote an article a few years ago that I stand by half of it, but it was why, Jurassic Park should not be a franchise. And I tried to kind of unpack, like, why do these sequels not work? Why uh, why does nothing work? And one was that none of the sequels seemed to understand that it was a horror franchise. Um, the Lost World, like, had some of the horror, but it wasn't as well constructed. But like, like you said, Jurassic World is not scary at all. Um, and no one is scared. And Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom tries and fails. I don't know what, like, when it, people... I don't know. There are defenders of the whole haunted mansion aspect of it, but I didn't find any of that scary. But the dinosaurs are terrifying in Jurassic Park. Um, yeah, and that's because of the way that Spielberg sets them up. Well, there's there's yeah, exactly there's a thing. There's two things in, in Fallen Kingdom I wanted to point out real quick. Um, compare the scene in Jurassic Park when they see the dinosaurs for the first time and like this this like almost religious uh, music comes in. And I think John Williams said he was inspired by like cathedral music for the theme of Jurassic Park. And it's, you know, it's, it's a very low angle shot from the people's perspective of this massive, you know, impossible animal. And they're all just like, like Ellie starts crying. Uh, Alan collapses. Like he just can't, it's like so much for him. He can't take it in. Go to the scene in fallen kingdom when they get to the Island. And one of the two tech kids, um, uh, the lady who unfortunately I can't remember her name, um, but she's like the veterinarian. If you remember, um, they come in and there's another, it's the same scene. A Brachiosaurus is walking in front of like the discovery center, whatever the pyramid was called. Um, and it's, they kind of try to repeat the shot, but like she doesn't react to it. And the movie doesn't really react to it. Like, it's just kind of like, Oh, Hey, there's the dinosaur. And it's kind of the same shot. And then they just go on with the scene. Like it doesn't like the movies, the Jurassic World movies forget to make the dinosaurs 
awesome, you know, like it, of what, how that would affect people. And you could argue in Jurassic world that it's intentional because part of the point is, well, people are so used to them now that it's just kind of like whatever. And there could be merit in that if the rest of the movie explored that, but it absolutely doesn't. So I'm not going to give them the credit for it. Um, but in terms of making the dinosaurs scary, the director in Fallen Kingdom does the same gag four different times in the movie where the dinosaur is in the background briefly illuminated by a rear light source. So it's like the first shot is the submarine and then lightning strikes and we see the Mosasaurus barely in silhouette behind them. Like two minutes later up on the surface, there's the guy working with the power thing, the lightning strikes and we see the T-Rex barely in silhouette behind him. Um, in the cave uh, uh, later, or not in the cave, but in the, the underground bunker where it's Bryce Dallas Howard and Justice Smith, yeah, Detective Pikachu, <laughs> um, are like arguing, um, and some lava drops in the back tunnel, and we see the the silhouette of the Baryonyx, I think, one of the dinosaurs. Um, and then in the mansion later, they do the same gag with the Indoraptor. It's like they had that one trick, and they used it over and over and over again. It's like, guys, <laughs> what? This shouldn't be that hard, but also. I agree with Adam that Jurassic Park doesn't need a franchise in the same way that I was extremely skeptical of Westworld being able to be a sustainable series because I don't think it's a sustainable premise. I think you get to do it one time. Yeah. Right. Like how many times can we be like, we tried this theme park and it failed catastrophically. Um, how many times can we do that? I mean, like, I yeah, that was it. my, that was my second point that I can't stand by anymore, which was that, why would anyone ever try to do this again when it failed, when people died and they closed it down and then they decided to reopen again? Like, why would anyone do that? And now it's with like, the, oh. with the wreckage of the old park still there. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's the thing, you know, again, just to bring it back to nitpicking Jurassic park and now Jurassic world. So Jurassic park, Jurassic world, they're building Jurassic world. At some point they have to click clean up the mess of the first movie. Right. And at some point you're going to find like a Nedry skeleton in a, like a, in a car mm -hmm. being like, Oh, what happened here? So yeah, it's just Jurassic world does not work. And anyway, we could keep, probably keep going on, but again, I'm trying to be conscious of Thad's time today. Um, sure. So uh, let's, let's move into recently watched uh, Tom. What have you seen lately? You want to talk? I watched, about? I watched spree last night. What um, do you think of spree? I really enjoyed it. It's uh stars Joe Keery, who is Steve from Stranger Things. Um, he's basically playing uh, a social media, a wannabe social media influencer. And I, I read that he studied people like Ninja <laughs> and it, and it absolutely comes through in his performance. Um, he's trying to go viral. So he sets up a bunch of cameras in his car um, as a rideshare driver and just starts murdering his passengers on a live stream. Um, and it's good. He's very good in it. Um, it uses a lot. It doesn't always do it, but um, it's not precisely found footage, but it does exist primarily in screens. Like it's on his, he's sharing his phone screen. He's also, you're seeing his live stream. And when he's out in the world, it'll cut to security cameras. So there's, I don't think there's ever like an omniscient camera presence. Um, it's told, I think entirely through screens. Um, Everybody's really good in it. It has a lot to say. Well, not a lot to say, but a very specific thing to say. And it's a very finger pointing at all of us because we're all sort of guilty of this. And we've just, we've flat out seen this happen with people live streaming crimes and, and, and cultivating like a fan base on like Reddit and stuff that creates more of these people. And it's, it's a movie about that. Um, and it's good. Um, it's subject matter is 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 heavy if you if you think more about it like i just bum myself about about it now <laughs> um but like just on a surface level it's it's just you know it's kind of a fun slasher movie um and he's really great in it cool spree check it out folks yeah uh adam what have you seen lately um well i did finally catch up to Elizabeth Banks's Charlie's Angels, which I will say I was pleasantly surprised by. Like, it was perfectly fine and pretty fun, and Kristen Stewart is having a blast in it. And honestly, one of the better, like, Marvel movies slash Fast and Furious ripoffs I've seen. Uh, I think it's on, like, Stars or something now, but, like, it was perfectly fun. Like, it's an enjoyable film. Um, but the the main one I wanted to talk about uh, is I finally saw Robert Altman's The Player, 
which was released in 1992. Um, this is a movie that absolutely hates Hollywood, has nothing but disdain <laughs> for everyone in Hollywood. Uh, it's a black comedy. It's satirical. Uh, Tim Robbins plays a, a Hollywood studio executive. Um, and the studio's mantra is movies now more than ever. Just really cynical. <laughs> of just By the like, way, some fucking studio or movie chain is going to do after the pandemic. It will be movies now more than ever. Yeah. Movies yeah. now more than yeah. ever. Um, but anyway, he's a studio executive who's besieged by uh, threatening notes from a screenwriter who claims that he blew him off and hasn't gotten back to him on his pitch. Um, he tracks down who he believes to be the screenwriter and kills him and gets away with it. Um, it takes place over the course of a couple days. It opens with this like stunning uh, long take, this oneer that kind of introduces you to to all the players in the film. Uh, you know, also in the movie, there's Peter Gallagher, um, Whoopi Goldberg. It's uh, Lyle Lovett is in it, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, but it has something like, I think, 93 cameos in it. Like, it's just packed with cameos from famous people. Um, but Tim Robbins is really good in it. It does that Robert Altman thing again, where it's a massive ensemble and people are talking over each other. It's really smart, really funny um, and plays pretty well today. I will say the the cynicism <laughs> of the studio. Um, it, I will say it was funny in 1992, the idea of like. Um, kind of like soulless studio movies were described as like cop movies. Um, so like stuff throughout the 80s that had like kind of gone on. So I don't know. That was funny, but I enjoyed it. It's on HBO Max right now and you should definitely check it out. Cool. Um, yeah, that's that's a good one uh, for me. Uh, I recently rewatched uh, Gus Van Sant's To Die For, which turned 25 this year. And uh, it's based loosely based on the uh, the Pamela Smart crime where she uh, allegedly got three local teenagers to uh, murder her husband. And but what the film does really well is it's it's really more of a, a satire. It's more of a dark satire where uh, Nicole Kidman, who gives an amazing performance, um, plays uh, this uh, local weather uh, news broadcaster, uh, Suzanne Stone, who, again, seduces. Uh, this young man played by Joaquin Phoenix to murder her husband played by Matt Dillon. And, but it's really about sort of the media circus that blows up around these, uh, an easily identifiable type. And what makes it such good satire is that, and, and Nicole Kidman's performance so good is that she basically has to play this complete caricature of a woman that this, this femme fatale that doesn't exist anywhere close to in reality, but she also has to sort of play you know, a psychopath, like, okay, if this is who we are believing this person exists, you have to play to both the reality of it and the caricature of it. And she manages to do both. And I think it's just a really impressive performance in a film that I think is still, you know, resonant about sort of these media circuses that erupt, uh, especially around women. So uh, I highly recommend to die for uh, if you haven't seen it. Uh, okay, well, thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, if you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Tom, where can people find you on Twitter? Oh, you can find me at Start the Machine on Twitter. And, and Adam, where can we find you? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Tom, thanks again so much for joining us. We will definitely have you back. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, no, it was um, fun. Definitely, people should read your Mortal Kombat article and all the great <laughs> writing that you do on Collider. Uh, for our listeners, we are now switching to a one-for-you, one-for-us model. Which So in the past, we have you vote on the movie you want us to talk about. Um, and so you voted for Jurassic Park. Next week, we are going to talk about... We um, <laughs> got that little notification just at the right time. Uh, we're going to talk about Cloud Atlas, which is currently streaming on Netflix. So that's <laughs> going to be our film for next week so that should be a fun one lots to to discuss there tom <laughs> i you, can see how already has <laughs> if you if you ever want to see uh tom hanks play a cockney gangster throw a man off a building <laughs> in the middle of a fancy party yes flat <laughs> atlas is for you flat atlas is good actually all right <laughs> thanks for listening everyone we'll be back with you next week That little chico pit boom, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Babu, you know that. 
You could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we always talking about striving and achievement and, and the Colonel Sanders story is is a story that inspired me since I was ten years old. Look how our life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. This holiday season, it's all about the bedroom. And Casper's Black Friday sale has up to 30% off everything you need to make your bedroom your happy place. Only Casper mattresses are made with 86 supportive gel pods to align your spine and eliminate aches and pains. And Casper bed frames are made from the highest quality materials. Give the gift of a better bedroom. Save up to 30% during Casper's Black Friday sale on now at Casper.com. Terms and conditions apply. See Casper.com slash terms for more details. Else.